Welcome back to the BAST podcast. I'm very excited today because I'm going to be talking to somebody I encountered many years ago, way before I met her physically. I knew about her uh, through reputation. This is um, just such a, a great opportunity for me to dig deep and, and get to the nitty gritty of what makes this woman tick. Uh, this is Dr. Mary Beth Dame, who is a mentor to singing teachers and has been many things, as we'll discuss on her journey. And I'm very excited to welcome you to the uh, podcast, Mary Beth. Hello. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So the reason why I find your journey so fascinating is because when I first encountered you, it was as someone who was a singing anatomy expert. Um, you'd written the book The Performer's Voice, which I'd delved into really um, a lot and I've got it here, you know, with lots of earmarks and things like that, writing. And then I'd asked you to come in and do a class for um, some of the vocalists at the Academy of Contemporary Music where I was head of vocals, sort of back in about, I don't know, 2008 or nine, And we had a discussion and you said, oh, no, I'm not focusing on that anymore. I've moved into a different realm and I'm looking more at energy. And, and so you came in and you did a class sort of, I, I'm assuming that it was maybe the beginning of, of your course singing I'm kind of curious to know, first of all, how did you get into the anatomy side and then what took you out? <laughs> okay, right. You're never out of the anatomy once you're in it. But, yes, um, I, when I grew up, my, fam my dad was a pharmacist. All his friends were doctors. So there was this sort of pull a little bit toward the medical arts. But mainly it was all music. I mean, I started singing when I was three and dancing. I had classes, all kinds of things. And, and so um, I started very young. And, and the woman who took care of me uh, at our house on the beach said that I never did anything but sang all the time, that singing was what I did. And so it was part of my being, really. Um, but when I got to college, we studied William Bernard's book as part of our vocal pedagogy course, and this was back in the dark ages. <laughs> so I and I went and got my master's degree, but then I wanted to teach. I knew that I didn't want to perform full-time. That was not for me as such. And so I wanted to teach, but I, I ended up... Um, teaching at a small women's college and then knowing that I needed to go get a PhD. So the logical thing was for me to go and study with William Bernard because that was the book I knew and, that, and I loved it. I'd eaten the thing up, you know, even in college. So I went to work with him and he, as part of my, my work, the first week I was there, he said, sit down, I've got a surprise for you. And I, I, my poor little brain was going, oh, no, they're going to keep me out, and I've been here one week, you know. But he said, I've gotten you into the dental school anatomy course. 
So I embarked on anatomy, no science, in high school. And there were 120 guys and two women. And the other one was a speech therapist. And we fortunately were on the same cadaver. But at any rate, it was amazing. And I was like, this is the most miraculous stuff anybody could think of. And then after that, I was made a teaching assistant and then a full-time instructor in both anatomy and music there. So I was in the anatomy lab, running the lab, for answering the same anatomy questions 120 times. <laughs> so if you don't know it by then, you're really stupid. <laughs> so it wasn't that I was that bright. It was that I answered this a lot. So that was a totally repetition. And finding it and living with the the structure, but then a real piece of luck came along. And I, um, my, our um, professor of anatomy was leaving. He was going to another job. That wasn't luck. He was brilliant. But he had a job as uh, the anatomy professor at a hospital. And he taught during Grand Rounds, which was the medical education, every week in the hospital. And he asked me to take his place. And I said, what? They don't want a singer teaching anatomy. Anyway, they interviewed me and said, yes, we do. And I did it for another five years. And I was around real surgery, watching, looking, being amazed at the living body compared to the the dead one, so to speak. And the insights and the the sort of sense and feel that you get. And I I love the human body. It's it's an, an amazing miracle. But then I got involved in going beyond that. And one of the first things you learn in certainly in a lot of the self-development healing books, but in physics, is that we are a dense field of particles. That's what we are, that have intelligence. So when you start looking at the Eastern and the Western, which is what I did, because um, after I'd been teaching a number of years, I won an NIH postdoctoral grant to study at the Royal College of Surgeons in London. And that was a you know, pretty big thing for a singer to be able to do that. And so I was around the top anatomists around there, and they were, they were brilliant. Um, but then I also got involved in all kinds of alternative healing. You name it, cranial sacral, hands-on, chi. I did years of qigong and tai chi. And then I got into the energy work. But the physicists, the quantum physicists, pretty much took over science for that in that period. And in the singing world, we're still trying to get the anatomy. But, I mean, singing world is always a little bit behind because they don't want to look forward. <laughs> they, they want to look behind. And um, so... I began to think of everything is different because your energy body runs your anatomy. So if you think your anatomy runs your body, you're crazy. So if you've got an energy body that runs your anatomy, then I thought, I better look at, I better look at that and how it relates to singing. 
So that started me on that journey. And that's, that's never ending. And it's even more exciting. Mm. Uh, funnily enough, I'm touching in on that at the moment. I've recently read Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief. And yeah, yeah I've been, I've followed, so I'm going down that rabbit hole right now, but very much at the beginning. And just currently training as a as a hypnotherapist, uh, yeah, with the idea of doing command cell therapy where we're commanding the cells to heal themselves Yep. based on the idea that it's, you know, protein is what dictates how the cell evolves and develops and we can influence the protein through energy, chemicals and hormones. So that's that's kind of where I'm going and I'm so I'm very fascinated with with the fact that you've already taken this journey way, way before me. I do remember thinking, you know, when I knew you were going down this um, pathway, right going, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I totally got it. But I also realised that sort of from where I was, people weren't ready really, you know, for, for that no. information. And I tend to go where people are not ready. <laughs> yeah, and that's what makes you a pioneer and... <laughs> And also I think now we're just getting an awakening, not just obviously in the singing world but in the general population of there's more to this than, you know, the, the, the stuff we can see and there's stuff we can't see and it's, and it's just as important if not more important. I, I do want to dwell on a couple of things initially. I was having a conversation the other day with someone who's just recently been doing some dissecting of the mm -hmm. larynx, and I'm kind of fascinated functionally with the arytenoid cartilages and how they move um, and the fact that they have, you know, three different sort of movement types, sliding, yeah, uh, gliding, tilting, gliding. yeah. And I just wondered, do you have any or did you have any kind of theories as to why that was or do you know why that is? Because I've spoken to a couple of people who, who have an anatomy background who can't really answer my question because I, I just feel like so much movement dedicated to these little cartilages, there must be a reason for it that they can close in these different ways. Hmm. Where do I start with that? Um, I mean, why is a funny question. One of the things I learned with energy is there are too many possibilities to even think of the why. But having said that, the way that I taught anatomy was to look at the bones and the joints first because that will give you a clue to how they're, what movement is needed there and how the muscles will work. But if you look at the uh, retinoids or the arytenoids, as they say in England, um, that sliding movement is going, when the interarytenoids contract, they're going to slide. Mm. When the thyroarytenoids contract, they're going to tilt a bit, and they're certainly going to tilt and slide when the lateral cricorytenoids contract. And then you've got the posterior retinoids, so you've got all those muscles need that ability to, to move. So that joint is a very fascinating joint, and... I always had my students make clay models of the larynx and the joints because then they get an idea of how they attach. 
uh, just have a paper model is fine, but it's not going to give you the subtleties of how something would move. So those little, yeah, those little cartilages get get a lot of action. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well, I guess when I'm saying why, I'm I'm wanting to know functionally why. Why is it necessary for the vocal folds or the the ligaments or the arytenoids to move in that many ways? Why is it not enough for them to slide shut? Ah, um, I'm not sure I can answer why it's not enough, but certainly closing vocal, yeah, yes, I can. It's not enough for them just to slide shut because it doesn't close the folds, doesn't close that gap completely. If you don't have the lateral lateral arytenoids, Closing as well, you don't get a complete closure. Which is what you need, like in the Valsalva maneuver? Valsalva is getting somebody to stop choking. Yeah, so when, when we've got, so this is my theory, because I'm like, there's got to be a reason for this. So for me, I felt that the slide, you know, that closure is it's, it's complete. Nothing's coming up or down. I mean, obviously, sometimes, you know, that's it's sort of like a no change. There's no need for lengthening, stretching, or anything. But when I go into a little cry sound, mm, then I need that little tilt in order to allow the ligament to stretch. That's my theory. But mm. <laughs> well, if you're, I mean, if you're looking at purely from singing. If you look at it as a protective valve to protect the lungs, then you need certainly those two sets of muscles working. Um, if you're looking at it from a singing perspective, we get into all kinds of micro-movements. Mm. And, and the, you know, and people have gone into that in a, a huge way. I'm looking at the big picture and they keep dissecting a melody. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's been a, every time I meet someone who might have an answer I ask, um, I, I sort of think that prior, obviously, to singing, we have this, the, the need to call and so that mm, mm, or the cry couldn't mm, necessarily yeah. happen in, in the closure, which is sort of more that solid one. So anyway. No, <laughs> no, that would be more of a, a heavy Yeah, sound. so I asked Ingo yeah. Tietze about it and uh, he said, oh, that would be really good research study. And I went, yeah, I won't be doing that. But let me know when someone does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the cry is going to use the upper edge of your vocal yeah. folds and that closure is going to close the whole, the whole folds touching each other. So you, the cry is also going to get you... With some cricorinoid yeah. action. So, but in order for the ligament to be able to go into that uh, manoeuvre, I, I, I think it needs to, the arytenoids need to be in that more tilted position. Yeah, they do. Anyway, that's, that, yeah. I don't really want to sit too much on that. I just thought maybe given the amount of time you spent there, you might have some ideas. So, um yeah. I was curious to know whether you got into Tai Chi and the the more alternative um, 
modalities for you. Was that initially for your own self and then it kind of you wondered how or did you go there specifically because you're wanting to know how that might impact performance and singing? No, anything that I've gone into has been my own curiosity and then I've gone, with this work with singing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, even tennis, anything that I've done, I can relate to singing and performance in, yeah. in some way. But I was always curious because the singing world tends to look purely in its within itself. It's very insatuous in terms of gaining knowledge. Mm. So for me, it was important to say, wait, this stuff really works. Would it work when I sing? Mm. Or would it work if I asked somebody else to do it? And it was always an experiment. It was never an assumption. It was like, will it work or won't it? I don't care. So what was the first thing you did then, the first kind of transference or mixing of the two? Uh, you mean of um, singing and, and uh, energy? Right. Well, once you learn even the basic chemistry a thousand years ago, that your body is like a sack of vibrating molecules. Now we learn the energy field is a field of vibrating particles. Then um, why don't I sing all of them? In fact, a question for your listeners is, if you are indeed a field, a huge field of vibrating particles, how would you sing differently if every particle was a mouth and a speaker? Because people are very captured by their, their mouth and their neck and their diaphragm and all the stuff that's run by the energy field. And that, what's fun about all that is all the work on neuroplasticity and the importance of what we're thinking, how we're thinking, and the information that we feed into the brain and to our being. What kind of instructions are we giving ourselves? And that to me is, people go, oh, was coursing scientific? And you go, very. But it's couched in new learning styles of fun. Uh, people don't even realize they're being duped into doing things <laughs> that, you know, that work. And, and so I think, um, the whole energy field thing, when you realize that, say, the physical body is less than 10% of what we see of you, and people are totally concerned with getting the physical body right, so what? You get 100% of your physical body right, and you're missing 90%. That's scary. Yeah. It is when you put it that way. <laughs> So people are going around trying to get this 10%. Yeah, just from a very small percentage, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I find that whole concept, even just when you said that, suddenly my whole mindset changed. And But it's, you know, I've been saying for a long time, singing is a whole body experience, but I just realised in saying that I was still quite limited to thinking about yeah. the physical. Yeah, the physical. To skin. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going beyond that. So yeah. is this a uh, 
is there some specific exercises one can do or is it just a an experiment, thinking experiment? No, 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 there are lots of things you can do. Child's play is the first one. Right. Because children use all of their senses. Mm. And, for instance, if you're going to learn a piece of music, most people sit there and try to bang it out, get the music, get the text, everything all at once, which is the worst thing you can do. Um, rather than, say, take the text, become, even if it's rap, even if it's uh, metal, I don't care what the text is, treat it like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, but dance it, sing it, play it, uh, mime it, rap it, do everything you can do with that text other than just repeat it. And what they found in the sports world was if kids repeated something three times, they locked in mistakes. If they repeated it the same way three times. So just the way we've done music is do that. And the thing that prompted course singing more than anything for me was I was hearing robot performers who were overthinking on stage, and this was in every genre, from from idol to classic, you know. Mm. And because kids are being taught to analyze everything, and teachers are feeling, oh, my God, if I hear this word one more time, the need to be transparent. Their, their um, definition of being transparent is, I'm going to tell you everything I've ever learned. So you can- I, do you know, sometimes, I don't know if it's about transparency, but I know certainly in the, in the past I've been guilty of talking too much, partly because I'm so excited by what I've just learned. Yeah, right. I think there's also that aspect too, and, and it, it definitely I had to work very hard to just zip it and to, yep. you know, and just to allow that person to experiment and try things out. And even if it was a technical thing or, or a musical thing or right. or a, a performance thing, and to I really had to work so, so hard to not mm-hmm. interfere and to micromanage. That's the other thing that I was very bad yep. at. Yeah, I did a lot was micromanaging. Well, ideally it's a partnership mm-hmm. and not, teacher people and but um yeah i think you know if you watch sports coaches i don't think i've ever seen one and i've seen a lot talk about the anatomy of the arm for a tennis player they give them a ball and a racket and if someone comes in to me for a lesson the first thing I get them to do is sing. If they haven't quite warmed up, we'll do something really crazy, not scales. Okay. Nothing. Well, scales have to get right. right. I love to start with something that doesn't need to be right because they're right on alert, waiting for criticism right. from the first moment. Mm. So what kind of exercise might you do then? I might have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. What did you do yesterday? <laughs> I might start with that. Mm-hmm. Very playful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I came from a jazz background. We used to do that as, as an improv yeah. kind of exercise. And I get people doing what I call fake scat. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I'll get, like, if you're reading a poem or something, or you're saying, how are you today? You know, you just get them improvising. And so you're building in improvisation, fun, character, while you're working on technique. They're not separate. I, I just go spare when people separate these things. Mm. So uh, obviously the, the transparency thing is one of your bugbears, but what other things do you feel that teachers um, could improve on or maybe take a different approach on that would you like to see happening? I'd like to see teachers saying, finding out what the student wants, what their dreams are, what they, what they for instance, if you could have any voice you want, not anybody's voice you want, any voice you want, mm -hmm. how would you describe it? Mm -hmm. And they, they might be at a loss, but you say, well, would it be warm? Oh, I'd like a clear voice. Okay, great, clear. And would it have a color? Or would it have an animal? Or would it have, you know, you get them setting up their intent for their own sound rather than my goals for establishing a certain sound there. And that gives the brain, their brain, something to work on. And it's more creative, isn't it? It's not so logically oriented. Yeah, and it can change. They can come in the next week and say, I want a purple voice. Great, okay, let's do it. Yeah. So do you think that a teacher needs to be pretty uh, knowledgeable and confident with that, the underlying mechanics of, of voice to get to that place? Because, you know, I, when I, in particular when I look at you, I think it's great that you're doing all this energy um, and taking, you know, the awareness of singing and teaching singing to another level but there are some you know sometimes when people are just coming in they don't still don't really understand how sound is made and what the options are you know with manipulating vowels for instance yeah I think I think a certain amount but I'm in all honesty the way it's being taught is too much rote memory. And what I see on these various fora that are on the on Facebook and stuff is people jumping in with incredible diagnoses that scare the pants off of me. Um, they're like, we've got a whole bunch of quacks running around now that are doctors. Um, and that that scares me. Oh, it must be an aneurysm or it must be just what? You know? um, so... I I would like to see anatomy thought differently, but the medical model is very straight and narrow, and you don't think through it much. Anatomy is very logical. Mm. And, yes, I could never say not know it because I'm imbued with it. I mean, I just couldn't. But on the other hand, there are many things that a teacher can do without knowing one spec. The, the thing that they miss with learning anatomy, is how to really look at what they're seeing, not necessarily analyze it to death and know exactly the muscle, but if somebody's out of alignment, to be able to adjust that. If somebody's doing something weird with their tongue, yeah, but it may not be the tongue that's the problem. That's the issue. 
it may look like the problem and they jump on the first thing and it may be somewhere else. Well, it's been interesting because uh, I didn't really delve into anatomy and physiology until quite some years into my teaching. But then I also come from a medical background, um, having been trained as an RN or a registered nurse. And and so for me, I was like, I don't know, I don't want to talk about anatomy, you know, that's too like medical and I don't, and this is singing and it's creative. And so I actually rallied against it for that reason and I was like I'm you know I don't need to know about all that stuff in order to be able to teach singing and to a certain degree I was right you know I had a very successful business and I had people coming back and recommending me so I knew I was doing something right Mm. but I did find when I understood functional anatomy better when I did start to delve into it I just became quicker uh, and also I got to the root of the the actual cause of the problem um, a lot more efficiently Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's it's such a it's a very difficult balance because in in the course that uh, we do at BAST which is um, a 20-hour introductory course we we kind of very cursory um, delve into the anatomy and physiology of the uh, larynx the vocal folds and the respiratory system just to get people having a, you know, familiar, less scared of it, um, more interested in maybe pursuing further if they wish to. Um, But I'm so aware also that people can get very caught up in that technical side and, and then it becomes the focus of everything they do in their teaching and it's sometimes difficult to find that balance when we're helping teachers because it's it, the job, it's just so wide, isn't it? You know, it's counseling. Oh, there's so much. And I was thinking, when I taught anatomy to the speech therapist at Central School of Speech and Drama, we had an hour and a half, a three-hour class. We did an hour and a half of anatomy, and then we did an hour and a half of what I called anatomy lab we worked with the voice, working with the same thing we talked about in the anatomy class. So there was an experiential part to it. And that's the part that's most often missing when people teach anatomy. They need to see how it works. Those kids need hands-on somebody's ribs. What happens if they do this? What happens to the sound if they do this? Of course, <laughs> talking about the hands-on stuff, that's a little difficult these days as well as a teacher because oh my God, all yeah. the safeguarding. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a crazy world, isn't it? Just gone crazy. I would love to hear more about core singing and how it's evolved and, and what it is that you um, are hoping to achieve with core singing. Okay. Um, well, I'll tell you what I want to achieve transforming the way vocal pedagogy is taught. <laughs> that's, a, that's a rather big chunk, but yeah. And it is happening, actually. But um, I'd like to see more teachers of singing in the self-development world because they are bringing that back into their singing naturally because it's doing so much for them. But core singing, as I said, was a journey. And... It was through physics, through Tai Chi, Qigong, uh, through neuroplasticity, through just my own being in consciousness and awareness and seeing what would happen 
And I've always believed in the fact that we can make a, a sound that's timeless. We don't have to have a manufactured sound. We can, and yet our, our perceptions are, you know, I've got to sing to you, so I'm going to stick my neck out at you. I don't have a back. You know, the Alexander people are always saying, you know, you have a back as well as a front. And the whole thing about being centered. And I just felt our, that our performance was suffering badly, that I was not seeing people who were really authentic giving their sound and their music. So before we go any further, do you have an example of someone or some singers who you believe are authentic? Well, this goes back, but Ava Cassidy was. Mm -hmm. Okay. In some ways, Barbara Streisand is. I mean, these are older singers now. Um, Some of the newer ones... Um, there's some, do you know Secret Garden? There, it's a, it's a violin and piano duo. And they did the first version of You Raise Me Up. Uh, there's a guy on their recordings, I can't think of his name. It's very authentic to me. He's never done another recording like that, but that one's wonderful. Um, so, but there are people, but they were, I mean, Ava Cassidy, of course, her recordings were after her death. So, oh, that we heard, you know. And um, that was another thing. But, yeah, there are some, but they, they are few. Mm. They are few. And So maybe it's not such an easy thing to access. I think it is easy to access, but not the way we're being taught. Right. If they're up there thinking about whether their larynx is up down, up or down or sideways or frontways, they're not in the message. Mm. They're not involved in the message. So what, what, are the, um, what, are the, what are the characteristics of an authentic singer then? Okay, they're fully and passionately involved in the message they're giving. They're grounded and centred. So they're not coming forward to project or whatever they do, you know. Um, and, and they have a sense of owning the whole space. So the space that they own is not only their little puddle on the stage, it's the whole auditorium or the whole arena. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a circle. They're in the middle of the circle, not at the top or the bottom of it. So they are literally expanding to fill all of that. So it's awareness, it's passion, it's knowledge. Actually, there's there's a guy called Kurt Elling. I don't know if you've heard of Kurt Elling. He's a um, jazz vocalist. Uh-huh. And I did a um, summer uh, jazz vocal program with him many years ago, and one of the exercises we had to do was actually about owning the stage and yep. made us uh, move around the stage and, you know, go low and high and just put our energy around the stage. It was really interesting. And 
we all felt such a difference when we performed, like somehow we weren't in this little space of like just in front of the microphone and right. we were actually going, no, this is all of ours. And it was, it was a really, it, it did change the way that I stepped onto a stage after that. Mm. I went, actually, it's okay for me to own this, but I hadn't thought about yep. owning the whole auditorium or the whole theatre. So, Well, I actually had the Carmen Jones cast years ago go into the whole theatre mm-hmm. and own it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And it was always interesting because when I heard any of those singers in other shows later, they were the singers that had the space. Mm. Yeah, they popped out. Interesting. So um, if someone was to do your course, what's, what sort of teachers are suitable or people are suitable to do the course? Like who would, who would that be? The, the teachers that I love to get are young teachers who are just starting out before they get too ingrained with too much of anything. But uh, curious interested in self-development, interested in healing, and interested in energy, definitely, but also in, in child's play, learning things that will help them um, be much, I would say, freer and less restricted in feeling like they have to have X amount of knowledge in order to teach, and a love of teaching, obviously. There are about 60, 70 coursing teachers around the planet in various ways. But, um, yeah. So how, many, how long does the course take? The course is all online and it's up to you. Oh, okay. Some people have done it in months, some, some have done it a couple of years. So is it only online or, is, or are there opportunities to work with you? They can work with me. They can do it privately with me. As you hear and as everybody hears, I've been having some issues with my own voice um, that make it hard for me to do many public things at the moment mm-hmm. and um, because everybody starts to analyze my voice. And <laughs> so... <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah, that's all they need to be distracted by. But, yes, I do personal ones. That's quite a bit more expensive than the online course. And the online course right now, I'm offering a 30% discount, one-third off. And just need to use the uh, code CS33. And... It's yours for much less, but it it's it's about a semester length course, and it has a lot of reading, like Bruce Lipton. It has a lot of self development reading, um, wonderful links to energy stuff on the internet, and was so much fun to do compared to writing a book. I was going to ask you a little bit about your book writing as well. Um, mm-hmm. How many books have you written now? Well, four or five, but three main ones. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, obviously, there's the, the performer's voice, which well, is... Well, four main ones, yeah, the performer's voice, yeah. dynamics of the singing voice, which mm-hmm. is ancient by now, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and uh, presence, confidence, and personal power, which is about 
more about self-development and communication. And so, yeah. And then the online course. And it's so interesting to compare because to change a book, you have to wait five years or six years or seven years. To change my online course, one minute. That's that's one of the reasons also that I've made BAST a, you know, a certificate of attendance only. It's not accredited in any way. I've right. got no interest in going down that track because if I want to change something because I've learnt actually that's not correct and we need to make adjustments, I want to be able yeah. to do it right now. Bingo. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, we always say this is fluid in the sense that right now this is what we know, but who knows, tomorrow we might go somewhere, talk to someone, read something, you know, discover that this is not correct or actually we need to yep. expand on this and and so it will continually change and as as will, you know, the teacher's knowledge, you know, this is just a starting point. I just want it to be a starting point that they can then go off and go whatever direction they want to but they've got you know, a, a bit of a language, a bit of a way of talking with other pedagogues or teachers or, you know, they could feel more confident to talk to speech therapists or, mm-hmm. or ENT because they've got the terminology and, and just open that up by way of, um, you know, giving them that confidence. Yeah, and, and I know that it comes very highly recommended by oh, many yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah, it's everything I I wanted but never had, and so I realised that if if I didn't put it together, nobody else was going to. So, well, that's kind of like course singing. I would adore to study course singing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, And I think it's a really lovely, you know, it's great that there are people around like yourself and, of course, all the stuff that Debbie Winter's doing mm-hmm. and Ginevra. Uh, it's been fantastic, you know, and many people have gone, mm-hmm. you know, from there to there and out and, and it's been wonderful to see all these teachers mm-hmm. um, going out and, and discovering uh, stuff for themselves and finding their own pathway as well yeah. and not following everybody else's pathway and look what's happened i mean i'm so excited i mean somebody said to me the other day oh music there's not much i said let me tell you different singers are going teaching people with brain disease they're teaching people with dementia with alzheimer's they're going they are doing some amazing things with singing as a healing modality and they're, yes. you know, so they're, yes, not room for everybody who wants to be at front of the stage, but there's room for everybody who wants to take music in the world. And I think that's a really lovely place to end our conversation. Um, we'll catch up, I'm sure, again to find out what your next project is. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much. We'll, I'll put all that information about your course in, our, in the notes okay. along with the yeah. Okay, great. And uh, they can get to it through the coursinging.org or marybethdame.com. Great. Good. Either one. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was great talking to you. You too. Thank you. Right. Okay. Bye now. Ah.